uh, as two things, and I'll address the elephant in the room. Uh, you don't know what it is. Uh, I, when I gave the paper to Hope, I said, Hope, when you read today, I want to feel it, you know? And she nailed it, right? The inflection, and your voice was great. So anyway, that was really cool. Um, that, and then, uh, look, hey, last week, for one, I like to preach to my right. Nobody feels this area over here. But last week, this area was totally full, so that's like my New Year's resolution, is to, like, refill this area and then get some people on the right, okay? And not that I want to, you know, scoot the curtains up and you guys switch, you know, I just want to add some people. But anyway, I'm excited about that. Okay, the elephant in the room here is, uh, I know what you're thinking, Adam, you look great today. I'm, thank you. Uh-huh. The reason I look so great today, um, or maybe you're thinking, Adam, dog, I thought we kept it casual here, you know, and uh, all that is true. Uh, But my anniversary is Tuesday, isn't that right, Tuesday? It's coming soon. My anniversary is coming soon. And uh, and so we went out to eat last night, and uh, so we got a babysitter, thanks to, she's not in here, Um, but anyway, got a babysitter, went out to eat, it was a lot of fun, we went out to eat. And, uh, and then we went to Target to shop for a hamper. And then we were home by 8.30 and in bed by 10. And it was a phenomenal night. It was phenomenal. Um, but anyway, it was a lot of fun. But the whole reason I, I tell you that whole story is because before we went on, on that date, I ironed these clothes. And you know, if you iron something, you have to get two wearings out of it. That's kind of like my rule. So I had to wear this again just, just to make sure that my ironing did not go to waste. So... Anyway, thank you. Thank you. Now we can move on. Um, as I really think, and, and I haven't just, you know, sat and pondered, but as I really think about eight years of marriage, what's even crazier is three years of being a father, which is kind of nuts. Um, and and over, the, over the past two and a half, three years uh, serving here and serving people at Live Oak Church, I can honestly say that I really couldn't imagine life being any different. I mean, I could use more money, right? But of the things that really matter, you know, I really couldn't imagine things being any better, and I really wouldn't do it any different. And I can tell you why I think that, but I think that most people, and even if you're there and you say to look from the outside, you would say, surely there's some things you would change. But you think to yourself, no, really, this is for all the things that are important and for all the mess that I've made, I like where I am now. And you may not be able to totally explain why you feel that way. A lot of people are that way. I think that I can tell you why I like where I am, mostly because as a teacher, students ask me questions that make me ponder my life often, you know. I can't tell you how many times, student, just this past week, a student says, you know, uh, hey, Mr. Adam, how many times do you think your wife's going to cheat on you, you know? <laughs> Zero, you know, and then they laugh at me like that can never happen. But they, a- they ask me all kind of questions that make me think, you know, all these different kind of things about life. Um, but when people ask you that, and if you say, you know, life is going okay for me and I wouldn't change anything, and, and they say, well, why? You know, you have kids and you look really sleepy. When, don't you like to sleep? Or, you know, you're married. Wouldn't you like to dictate your own schedule? And all those different kind of things that they say, you know, don't you, wouldn't you rather have this? And, and you, kind of, you kind of balk at the question and say, you know, I don't really know why I prefer this, um, but maybe just have kids and you'll see and you'll get it that, you know, for all, for as bad as it looks, you know, I really enjoy it. And, uh, you know, and for sometimes the way marriage gets pictured, right, for some reason, I like it. Um, 
And I feel like the way that we balk at those questions is the same way that we do with our faith sometimes. And, and people ask us legitimate questions like, why follow something you can't see? Why do we need religion to tell us to be good? And all that different kind of stuff. Wouldn't you rather just go skiing on Sunday or fishing on Sunday or anything else? You know, all these other fun things that you could do. Wouldn't you rather do all that stuff? And, and really, we kind of balk at the question. And, just, and, and, and what eventually finds its way is, you know, you, you just have to believe in Jesus and then you'll get it. And, and everybody who's not a believer, maybe not everybody, but a lot of people, even if they're nice enough to not say it to your face, does this, this sigh like, yeah, that's what I get every time. Like, you, you, you act like, like following Jesus is really good, but yet you just say, you can't get it, and, and that's just not satisfactory. Um, we, we, we balk at the question, but what we think on the inside is, it works for me. And, and maybe I can't totally explain why following Jesus works for me, you know, um, you know, without getting into, of course, you know, some of the things that we know like heaven and not hell, right, and all that kind of stuff. But other than that, I can't totally get why it works for me, but it just does. I think it's particularly interesting just as we think about how we are and all that kind of stuff. We walk through this Christmas series, and we look at this Christmas story from kind of these different people's perspective. And then today, to look at it from Luke's perspective, kind of answers this question for us of why on earth we, we follow Jesus. It puts some, some words kind of to what we're thinking. And so when we look at Luke's perspective uh, today, what we're really looking at is not what's in the story, but who wrote the story and how did he write it and why did Luke write this huge thing, this book of Luke and the book of Acts, and why did he write this huge big thing? And, and the answer to that question, just before we kind of jump into that text, the answer to why Luke wrote this huge thing is pretty simple. Uh, Luke wrote this huge book because someone asked him a question. And this guy, we don't know exactly what he said, but he essentially said something like, you know, what is all this talk about Jesus? Man, it's all over Rome. Christianity is is sweeping all over, and I keep hearing about it. I know the guy died. I know some of the story, right? But why is this so significant? And instead of Luke kind of responding with, well, I just know I follow Jesus because it kind of works for me, you know? It kind of helps me get through some of the hard times. Instead of Luke kind of responding like that or, or maybe saying something like, well, hey, let's discuss it over coffee, you know, and that's, the, that's when you know you've reached the spiritual, the next level is when you get together for coffee or a meal just to talk about Jesus, right? That's when you're super spiritual. And, and, but Luke even goes a step further than the super spiritual. They don't just get together to talk about Jesus, right? Instead, Luke one-ups all of us, and this guy... This guy says, hey, I want to know a little bit about Jesus. And so Luke, uh, someone says, I want to know about Jesus. And he writes a 52-chapter letter. This guy says, tell me a little bit about Jesus. And Luke writes him a book. Man, can you imagine what it was like when Theophilus got this? And the guy's delivering it. And by the way, they wrote on leather paper that was really thick. And can you imagine the book of Luke and then later the book of Acts coming to your door on leather scripts about, you know, I don't know, this long, something like that. And, and even however it was delivered, the guy had to be like, I just wanted to sit down and have a conversation. And I don't know that I asked for 52 chapters. But that's how Luke responds when somebody says, man, what is all this stuff about Jesus? Next week, we jump forward like 80, 81 verses, something like that, and we read the story of Jesus' birth. But this week, back in Luke chapter 1, verse 1, 
we kind of look at Luke's perspective and he kind of tells you right in the beginning why he writes this story and why when you look at Matthew and you look at Mark and, and those are so short, he tells the same story but it's way longer and he kind of tells you why he wrote it the way that he wrote it. And why on earth somebody would ask him a question about Jesus and he would write a 52 chapter letter in response to it. Luke chapter 1 verse 1. Let me turn it over there. Luke chapter 1 verse 1. It's right after Genesis. Before, before Revelation. I had a chuckle in the back. Yeah. Anyway, okay, Luke chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first, I, by those who were from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. And very basically, in the first four chapters, first four verses, Luke just says, I'm writing you this letter because, yeah, a lot of people have done it before me, but I just want to tell you as clearly and as plainly as possible the story of Jesus because I want you to know that it's a believable story. And clearly you have some interest in it, but it kind of confuses you a little bit. You don't get how all these weird pieces, you know, can kind of come together. But I want to write it as clearly and as, and as thoroughly as possible so that you can absolutely know that it's true. The first thing that I think is pretty interesting is you look at who Luke writes to. And as you look at Luke's audience and as you look at the, the people in the story that Luke focuses on in here, uh, what you see is it's a little bit like looking in the mirror. And you may, and I guarantee you that at some time in your life, you said something like Scripture, even if just to yourself, because you, you just didn't say it out loud, you said Scripture's a little out of touch for me. And when I sit down to read it, you know, it doesn't really connect with me. And when people talk about it, I don't really, I don't really see myself in there. But yet at the same time, when you, when you look at Scripture, you see that there is a you in there that Jesus interacts with. There's absolutely somebody who's very much like you. There's, there's a skeptic who can't believe anything that Jesus says. There's a, a lukewarm guy who says, maybe I kind of believe it, maybe I don't, and I'm just not totally sure. There's, a, there's some super spiritual but not super authentic people, and maybe you've known some of them, and then maybe you're that, I don't know. And, and, and then there's, this, there's some of these just real honest people. I think probably Theophilus is kind of like that. He's just real honest about, I don't totally get it all, and maybe I kind of do, but, but you know, I'm just going to be honest about the fact that I don't get all of it. So Luke writes this letter, and he emphasizes these people, and I think it's because he knows that they're going to be the people reading this letter. And this running theme in Luke's gospel is Jesus' compassion for all these different people. Gentiles, Samarians, women, children, tax collectors, sinners, Luke is writing a letter to all the people that were outcast in Israel. And if you ever felt like you came to church and you looked around and you said, the people here, or the people on stage, or the people that sit in the front row, you know, I'm not like a lot of those people, right? I grabbed my seat in the back, you know. The, 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 the pastor was in bed at 10 o'clock and I was leaving home at 10 o'clock, you know. I just, I'm very, very different from all the people in here. And if you say that, I want you to know that what Luke is saying to all the people who think I'm different than the re- religious elites and I'm different than all the people who know all this stuff about Jesus, it's kind of like Luke saying to you, the Jesus story is for you. And you've been thinking that, that 
that in some way that the whole of Scripture was not written with you in mind, and it's not something that you get. And Luke is trying to be very clear in saying, Jesus went out of his way, literally walked hundreds of miles out of his way over the course of his travels to talk to people just like you. And to, tell, and to tell you this story and to tell you about all the things that were coming. And so just the opposite of being the outsider, if you feel like, like you've been the outsider, just the opposite, you are the person that Jesus came to talk to. And if you, if you peeled back, here's what's interesting. If you peeled back the layers a little bit of, of people that are here and you really got to sit down and talk to them, you would find that rather than being the outsider, a lot of people feel just like you do. And man, when I sit in with a group of pastors, I'm sure all the pastors feel the same thing. But I look around and I say, man, you guys are so spiritual. And if you only knew, you know, like if you only knew me, I am just not like you guys. You know, I go to work at a, at a regular job and, and, you know, I do, man, I do all these things so different and I'm just not like you. And we all feel so often like, you know, we're just not like the super spiritual people. And Jesus is like, and I didn't come for the super spiritual people. And Luke writes this letter. His perspective is to write to people that are not the super spirituals. I love that. Here's the cool thing. It's not just who he writes to. But it's also, it's also how he writes the letter. And here's, here's what I appreciate. It's like Luke assumes that when Theophilus is reading the letter, and when you and I are reading this letter, that we're going to have some questions. It's like the ancient version of the frequently asked questions, you know, where they stop talking like you know what they're talking about, and they start telling you things in a way that you get it, right? Like when you ask the question and you think no one's ever asked it, you know, can I take 14 Advil if my headache is 14 times stronger than a r- normal headache? And they, and they stop giving you all the reasons that it'll kill you, you know, according to science. And they say, yes, it will kill you. Don't take more than four. You know what I mean? Luke just kind of gives it to you really clear, assuming that you're going to have some questions. Assuming that when you read the Christmas story or you read the whole of Scripture, you're going to say, some of this doesn't make sense to me. And that you may not totally believe the whole story. Here's what Luke says. He says, I want to write to you an orderly account. This is what he means. He means, I want to write to you an account, and, and, and I, want, I want to support it with facts and research. And I want to show you how the story of Jesus can absolutely be supported by facts and research. And here's what he does. And, and here's kind of the, the totality of, of kind of like the way Luke writes and the way that, that, that Scripture was, was compiled and written and some of the guidelines. And so kind of what Luke is saying is he's like, I'm only going to use as sources, he's telling Theophilus, this is how I wrote this letter. I'm only going to use eyewitness accounts. I'm only going to, or, or handwritten accounts from eyewitnesses. I'm going to interview tons of people. I'll only add stories if they can be validated. I'll have multiple witnesses for every account. And all over this book, what you see him doing is he gives information and he gives where he got it. He says some of it came from, from the Apostle Paul. Some of it came from Joanna, who was the wife of Herod Steward. And we know that because, you know, he kind of makes it clear who he's talking to and who he's talking about. He gives the exact year and the exact month of events. He tells who was in power and where the things took place. And it's kind of like he's saying to Theophilus and to everybody who might ask, especially back then, he's saying, if you want to check these things out, a lot of these people I talked to are still alive. And they saw these things, and this is when it happened and where it happened. And you can go there and you can put your feet there, and I'm telling you a story that's absolutely true. This is a story written by a physician, somewhat of a scientist, and he's doing his very best to tell you a story that can be substantiated by facts. 
Um, I found out something pretty interesting. You may be like, huh, I'm going back to sleep now, but um, pretty interesting to me. Um, man, did you know that there are no administrative archives from the city of Rome throughout the entire Roman Empire? So you see all these movies, you know, where they have the, you know, Rome and they're in the council and all that different kind of stuff. But there is not one administrative archive from all of those meetings. And so we believe that all of this government happened, right? And all these, and that these people probably met and all these things happened just because we've heard it said to be true. And because probably it's not that incredibly hard to believe that government met together and at times they disagreed and all that different kind of stuff. But we don't have any administrative archive from the city of Rome throughout the entire, the, the breadth of the Roman Empire. We don't have anything. An empire, man, we see so many things about. We don't have anything from them. And, and I think that's kind of crazy because, you know, that story is believable. But the Bible story is pretty unbelievable. For one, just the idea that we would talk about a guy who we said loved unconditionally, that's pretty unbelievable. A story about a guy who loved people unconditionally is pretty unbelievable. Not to mention a guy who rose from the dead. Not to mention a guy who never died, right? Not to mention a virgin who had a child. This story is pretty unbelievable. And it's like Luke and, and Jesus and God himself said, hey, there are some parts of this story that are not going to be very believable. And it's probably why Scripture is one of the most substantiated books from antiquity, right? There, there are more sources that point to the truth of Scripture than there are any other book from antiquity, probably because it's pretty hard to believe. And in short, and you're like, you should have started here, right? But in short, it's okay to have some doubts. It's okay to read through Scripture, believer, unbeliever, and say some of this seems a little bit unbelievable. If you're a believer and you're being honest, right, you would say that sometimes I'm not totally sure if prayer works. You know, it's like I pray, sometimes I don't pray, sometimes good things happen, sometimes they don't happen, you know. Uh, I don't read my Bible for a long time and then I do read it for a little while and, and sometimes it feels different for a little bit. But I'm not totally sure if all this absolutely makes a big difference. And I believe in Jesus and I know it to be true, but, but it doesn't always add up. And it is okay to have some doubts. Luke's word to you is, to me, what he's saying here is, get yourself in Scripture. It's where truth is. Scripture seeks to remove doubt. And if you'll spend some open and honest time digging through Scripture and then praying to the God who inspired Scripture, I guarantee you that some of those doubts are going to go away. Um, uh, a friend of mine, uh, how, how many of you guys knew uh, Mike? He's not here, so I won't embarrass him or anything like that. But Mike, he's about my size, played for the Saints. You guys remember him? <laughs> he may have been larger than me just a little bit. Um, so uh, Mike, um, he, uh, he brought a, a rich new meaning for me to the phrase, I want to be like Mike, right? Um, Mike was uh, tall, which I am not. Mike was, was big, with big muscles, which I am also not. Um, Mike was, uh, you know, played pro football, which I do not. Like all the things that I want to be, we went and played basketball one time, and I thought maybe this is my one chance because, I mean, it's not like Mike's a wide receiver, you know. I mean, he's a big, bulky guy, and he blocks on the line. And then we, we get out here, and we're just warming up, and he, he like, dunks right off the bat, and then he's, like, hitting threes and stuff, you know, and so I lost that, too, and in every area, you know, Mike was just, I had this total man crush, and I hope he doesn't listen to the podcast, but 
total man crush on Mike. But here's the thing that he did that was that was just super impressive to me, is uh, if there if I've ever known anyone who biblically was slow to speak, it was him. And sometimes, you know, if you know me well, you know that you know. I mean, I'm not man. I'm not always slow to speak, if if ever, right? Um, Man, I'm just not great at that. Mike, man, he was so slow to speak. You wouldn't hear him talking bad about people. You wouldn't hear him downing people. And man, you know, even when the opportunity was perfect, man, he wouldn't do it. He was a humble guy. You know, if you didn't know, I mean, other than the fact that he looked like he had two steaks for breakfast, you know, you wouldn't know that, that Mike played for the Saints. You wouldn't know any of that about him. You know, he lived pretty humbly. He lived in a small house. No, nothing nothing just told you, and, and especially not him, that that's who he was. And the reality is, to me, Mike stands out because along with a few other people that I've known in my life, I, when I looked at Mike, I, you know, I sort of saw Jesus. And not perfectly, obviously, right? But but that's kind of the idea, right? Is when you look at believers, you see Jesus. And I think that the reason that Luke gives such this detailed account about Jesus, and, and, and not in its entirety, or maybe just one of the benefits of Luke's story, is that most people, most of us that follow Jesus, are just kind of just filled with, you know, a sense of self or riddled with uncertainty and, you know, and all these different kinds of things. And I throw myself in that category. And so most of us are not looking that much like Jesus. And so one of these huge benefits of this, of this comprehensive story about Jesus is that, is that in a world where it's hard to see what Jesus looked like because believers aren't often living that much like Jesus, we can come back to Luke and see exactly who the real, authentic Jesus is. And Luke wants us to know who the real, authentic Jesus is. When I really spend some time in the Word and I really start reading about Jesus, and I'm talking about me personally, when I do that and I see Jesus, man, I just long to be like Him. Jesus had this profound ability to understand people. I live my life with a lack of understanding about people, right? Jesus had this profound ability to understand people. Jesus had this way with words that he always said exactly what you needed to hear, and it just cut to the bone, right, with, with the sincerity of it. And you could say something to Jesus, and he could just say, that is not true of you, right? And you'd be like, you got me again, you know? And Jesus always knew just exactly what to say. I long to be like Jesus, man. Jesus was totally free from the love of money. Jesus was totally free from the love of the praise of men. And I would love to be free from the love of the praise of men. Sometimes I want men, I want people to praise me, and I know they don't like me. And I know they, you know, they don't even, they want to be like me, and they don't like me. But yet somehow I so appreciate it when they praise me. And I'd love to be like Jesus and be free from that. I'd love to be free from the anxiety of tomorrow and all that different kind of stuff. I'd love to be real and authentic and to not play church and to not waste my life chasing after all the non-essentials. Man, when I read about the authentic Jesus, I see something that absolutely I want to be. And so when I look at this gospel story from, from Luke's perspective and I see who he wrote to and what he wrote about and, and the person that he's, that he's introducing us to, there are two things that, that, I, that it brings to me that, that really, as I read, that the Holy Spirit put on my heart to consider these two things right here. 
one is I think that I just want you to consider, as I've been kind of doing this week as I walk through this message, is, is to consider that you might embody the story of Jesus like, like Luke did. That you might embody the story of Jesus like Luke did. Like to immerse yourself in it, to read it and study it and, and to live it out and then pray to the God who inspired Scripture that you might begin to do some of those things. And I think if you'll spend some time just reading through Luke and seeing the real authentic Jesus, it'll remove so much doubt that you have about Jesus and it'll fill you with a love for Him like you haven't known. And when you do that and someone asks you about Jesus, you won't kind of balk with fear at the question and, and not really know what to say. Who knows, you may spit out a 52-chapter letter that impacts people for a long time. But one thing's for certain, you'll be filled with things to say about Jesus. What's probably more likely is as you begin to spend some time in Scripture and you begin to try to embody the life of Jesus, is you're just going to slowly look more and more like Jesus. And probably what's going to happen is people around you are going to be led to faith because when they see you, they see Jesus in you. So I encourage you to do that. Secondly, can I ask you to consider to do this? Can I ask you to reconsider doubting and reconsider being a doubter? Maybe just honestly and openly say, I'm just going to read Luke. Honestly and openly, I'm just going to read the book of John. Honestly and openly, maybe I'm just going to read C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. I mean, if anything peels back the layers and, and kind of talks about Christianity plainly and openly from the most basic sense, that's it. Maybe you say, honestly and openly, I'm just going to sit down with a believer and ask some questions. You know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to act like I'm just going to reconsider my doubts about this and just try to ask some of those questions. And, and, and lastly, I would say, believer to you, I would encourage you to reconsider your doubts. One of the things that is so encouraging to me is when you became a follower of Jesus, you were freed from sin and doubt. And we just don't have to be people that doubt whether or not God is working in us and doubt whether or not God is with us as we're raising our children and doubt whether or not we're doing the right thing and doubt whether all these different things that we can doubt. And man, I know I just, I live with this sometimes, but we were freed from sin and doubt. And if you'll spend some time praying to the Father and you'll spend some time reading the Word, man, absolutely you'll feel those doubts begin to leave you. I just ask you to consider to embody the story of Jesus like Luke did, and then just to reconsider your doubts. How can I say to you with certainty that it'll change you? Because I can only say with certainty that it'll change you. One, because Scripture tells me that it will, and I believe that. But secondly, I can tell you with certainty because in my own life, every time I begin to just live not like Jesus and have doubts about what I'm doing and I jump into Scripture every single time, it changes me. And it impacts me in a way like I didn't know it would. Let me pray for you. God, we praise you for, we praise you for the truth of your Word, God. And I just praise you as I look through Luke and his account and, and everything that he had to say about who you are and, 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 and this story that he tries to tell to, to let us know that this is a real story and that we can believe in all that stuff, God. I just pray that, that, that what Luke had to say and what you inspired him to say would lead me and would lead us to want to wanna dig into it and to want to read it and open ourselves up to you and say, God, what would you have me do? And what would you have me say? And how would you have me live differently? God, I pray that we would be people that would open ourselves up to you into that. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.